If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews and the sixth chapter, somewhere by the end of the sermon today, we'll get there. We've been going through this series we've called the Glad You Asked series, and to be honest with you, today's probably the last sermon in that series. Now, I know I haven't answered all the questions that you've posed, and some of you probably are like, well, my question didn't get answered, and, and you're right, it's not gotten answered, and, and I appreciate that, but something that I've come to, to grow and, and learn and understand is that the preaching environment is basically a one-way communication. You know, I'm up here talking to you, and you're somewhat sitting there listening, uh, depending on how warm it is in the building or not warm in the building. And, or how late you stayed up watching Penn State win last night. It depends on your attention level, possibly. The problem with that one-way communication is sometimes it often leads to, to the ability for miscommunication because I can't hear what you're hearing. I, can't, I don't get the chance to say, well, what I heard you say was this, and so we can't have a real conversation. And, and the fact of the matter is some of the questions that we've asked or some of the questions that, that were posed are this is just not the most conducive environment to deal with those questions in this kind of format. There are things that need to be talked about one-on-one, face-to-face, something that can have a give and take of a conversation where we can sit down and work through some of those things together. And so if your question didn't get answered, I really, really, really would love to sit down with you and talk about that so that we could have a real conversation, so that we could understand each other as best we could and we could work through the scriptures together. And so I think that's important. So if yours is one of the questions that haven't gotten answered, let me please encourage you, set up a time. I'll meet you wherever you want to, and we can sit down and talk about that because there are a lot of important questions, and and certainly there are questions you have that should be addressed. This is just not the most conducive environment to, to tackle that because we do want to try to stay as close to the main thing as we can, the most important things and the, the things that are the least controversial or, or the things that we can really hang our hat on. To be quite honest with you, I even kind of thought about avoiding this one today because it's kind of one of those things that have been divisive over the years. It's one of the things that people have argued about. As I said uh, a few weeks or last week, you know, this is a topic that's basically been debated for 500 years. And when I see topics that have been debated for 500 years and we haven't come up with the answer, that tells me that there's probably not a really solid answer for us to come up with. And so we need to handle those with great humility and honesty. There's still questions that we need to wrestle with, but we just need to realize the the reality that, that, that this is something that, that the Bible, when I say the Bible tells us everything we need to know, not everything we want to know, this must fall somewhere in that category. But I had some goals that I wanted to talk about today um, as we discuss this. Oh, turn it on. That'll work better. As we discuss this question of can you lose your salvation, there was some goals that I had for uh, addressing a, a topic that, that I feel like is, can be divisive, has been divisive. And so two of my goals is one is to talk about how to avoid the horns of the dilemma. And I'll explain that in a minute. But this is something we're not doing well in society. And so this was kind of an object lesson, a chance for us to to realize that when it comes to debates we have and questions we have, that we we need to learn how to avoid the horns of the dilemma. And I'll explain that in a little bit. So that's one of the goals I thought we could accomplish by, by discussing this. And over the years, I've had a lot of people struggle with the assurance of their salvation. And so I do want to to help us feel some security in our salvation, which I think is really important because of of this debate. 
So anyway, those are my goals. I kind of want to lay that out there to begin with. So what do I mean by the horns of the dilemma? Well, this is a phrase. <coughs> this is a phrase that's used um, often, and, and it's this idea that that there's two options: one one horn or the other horn, and neither one of them is a good option. But these are the only two options exist. Either you're on this side or you're on that side. And, and, it, and so when people use this in argument, when they use this in debate situations, what they try to paint is these are your two choices. Neither one of them are particularly great choices, but these are the two choices you got. And so you either you're here or you're here. You know? and, and so what they try to do is paint this picture. So one, somebody says, well, I'm not that, so then I must be that. You know? and, and they use this as a way to try to debate with people. And, and they... The problem is that the horns of the dilemma usually are overstated, uh, that, that it's not this or that. Like most cases, the truth of any situation is generally, often, usually somewhere more in the middle and not just hanging out there on the two polar extremes. When it comes to this particular thing, and, and as we've been going through this series, take a little time out for a moment. As we've been going through the series, I've been trying to show this Venn diagram every week just to kind of remind us how when we come to a discussion with somebody, especially when we come to a discussion with another believer, our brother or sister in Christ, how to categorize our thinking. You know, things that are orthodox, things that the Bible is very clear and very plain about, the, the, that salvation is in Jesus alone, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that the Bible is in there, word of God, that these, these things are, are paramount, and, and those are the most important. Theologies, the systems that people come up with, and they answer a lot of questions based on their theology, well, we have to hold that a little bit more humbly because it's man trying to understand God. And then there's the liberty issue. You know, that there's th things that, that are just personal convictions that people have to hold and, 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 and deal with, and then we need to give each other lots of space to deal with those. And so this has just kind of been my reminder each week as we go through things that would tend to push us to one, one end or the other of the horns of the dilemma to say, no, let's just really evaluate how important this thing is, how, how orthodox, how, how central, how eminent how, uh, is this, this particular topic. Because here's the thing, every question we have, every issue we face should not be something that we divide over. That the, the body of Christ is designed to be a whole lot more unified than divided. I, I once read a story about a church who, uh, that every point of theological concern, they had another split and another split and another split. And, and each time they would rename their church and add another defining characteristic. And by, the, by a number of years, this one church had had, four, you know, the church of da 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 to try to articulate and how precisely they were on everything. And if you don't believe all these 14 things, then you don't belong here. And I, I just don't think the, the body of Christ is supposed to be that divided. To be, fact, to be honest, when it came to this question about um, can you lose your salvation, I actually met with one of the pastors that is part of the league that I knew kind of landed in a different place than I did on this subject so that he and I could have a conversation about it. And he actually gave me a book to read, and I've actually read it. <laughs> And, and, and because of that interaction with him, I'm a little bit more secure than I was before in where I stand on that issue. And so uh, I, maybe that's another goal I had by covering this topic today was being able to model how brothers and sisters in Christ should be able to come to different, different places on certain issues 
and still fellowship with each other, still love one another, and still accept one another. And so maybe that's one more goal I have, just to kind of model how do you deal with people, because this is a dear friend of mine that I pray with every week, knowing that we still don't see eye to eye on this particular issue. <coughs> so, so here's the issue. When we talk about the horns of the dilemma, most people see it this way. On one end, you have this once saved, always saved idea. And then on the other one, you have what my pastor's book, now I'm using language from the book that my pastor friend gave me, eternal insecurity. <laughs> Being that, you know, if you sin one time, you know, the, the illustration Randy likes to use is you're driving down the road somewhere, somebody cuts you off and you know, you, you call him a bad name, and because you're distracted by calling this person a bad name, you run your car into the ditch, hit a tree, die, and because you just cussed him out, you're done. Sorry, you just lost it in those last few seconds, and you're cooked. Well, those are the two horns of the dilemma, and, and most people consider this, well, either you're one or the other. The, the other side, the once saved, always saved, is, well, somebody made a, a proclamation that they believed in Jesus at one point, and they never lived for him beyond that one point, but they said something at one point, so they're good to go for all eternity. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you live, you're good to go for eternity, so live however you want to. <coughs> the problem with that particular camp, or that particular horn, I guess, is I think it's often motivated by people and fueled by people who are in desperate need of confidence in the salvation of someone else. My personal experience is I've been at a, a, at a number of funerals where people said, well, I know at such and such a time they said the sinner's prayer. I had a family one time hand me a card that, uh, that the person had signed as a child and said, look, he signed a commitment card. Now, not to mention that from that point on, the person never showed any fruit that would be biblical fruit of conversion. But once saved, always saved, so they're good to go. And so from these desperate moments that we, 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 we comfort ourselves with this thought, and I'm not sure that that's a good comfort. What I would, invest, uh, what I would encourage most people to do is don't leave it up to, to people to figure out where your salvation is when that time has come. Let them know. Tell them. Demonstrate it before them. Proclaim it to them and then live in such a way that gives people confidence and they're not looking and grasping for some theological concept that they can hold on to, knowing that your life never backed up what you said at one point in your life or not. And again, I think the, the eternal insecurity <coughs> is problematic also because it puts people in a constant st uh, state of fear. You know, did I think something that I shouldn't have thought? Did I do something I shouldn't have done? I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good with the Lord today. And every day they live in fear of not ever having uh, to, the confidence to live in, the, in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, and I think too often pastors have used that, that as a kind of way of making people behave. <laughs> you know, that we, we preach that side of it just in to encourage people's holiness and their and their their sanctification uh too much so when we look at the horns of the limb i say either end of that is probably not healthy either extreme can lead to danger uh one believing you are saved no matter what you do and so do whatever you want to do and the other one is you're going to lose it no matter you know at every moment you're losing it and so i think that's dangerous on both sides 
So to tell you where I stand, I think you would obviously see that, well, I'm moving towards the middle somewhere. I'm somewhere between those two extremes. And, and so I think avoiding the, the, the horns of the dilemma are important. And that's just something that I see in society because, let's just be honest, there are enough issues that we're all got on our mind right now that we've all been talking about for the last week. And we paint all these things as either you're this or you're that. Either you're over here or you're over there, and we can't deal with each other. Thank you. That's where I hoped you were going. And, and so we, 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 we divide over these extremes instead of trying to come to an understanding and an acceptance of each other the best we can in the middle. And I just think that would be good advice for all society right now, to avoid the horns of the dilemma. And this is our chance to kind of see how that works. So let's go on and talk about the actual question today, where, I, where I'm at. Can you lose your salvation? Well, here's the first statement I would make. And, and so you got to understand that, that I'm talking, uh, this is my own personal conviction as much as it is anything. I'm going to lay out my biblical arguments for an understanding of that. But to, just to be clear that I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the people we were talking about last week. I'm talking about those who are truly born again followers of Christ. That it's been a real conversion experience. I do think false conversions is the main problem that we face when it comes to this issue. The biggest contributor to our question, it's the biggest, uh, it's the biggest thing we see and the thing that we see people proclaiming Christ for a small amount of time and then walking or falling away. And I think most, in most cases, above the 50 percentile, well above the 50 percentile, most cases, it's a false conversion problem. But for those who are truly saved, can you lose your salvation? Well, here's what I would say. Number one, you can't lose your salvation. Now, notice I have underlined the idea of lose there. Because the, the word lose implies an accidental thing, uh, an unexpected thing, uh, an unintentional event, uh, uh, an inadvertent kind of happenstance. Uh, something that maybe even would go unnoticed, like the example I use, like, I never on purpose hid my keys from myself, right? I never like, oh, I'm just going to throw these keys into the bedroom, they'll never be seen again, you know? And, and so when I'd get up the next morning, I was not unsurprised, but I was surprised when I'd be looking for my keys because I didn't intentionally hide them from myself. I didn't intentionally lose them. There, it was an accident. It was a repetitive accident, but it was an accident. It was never intended. And so I don't think when it comes to our salvation, it's something we can misplace. It's something that we can like, like, I know it's around here somewhere. Where did it go? I don't think it's something that won't be noticed, that it's inadvertent, that you won't have some idea that it's happened if it does. And I base a lot of that on the, the language that the Bible uses. The Bible uses or has ideas of permanence when it comes to our salvation. And there, there's three that I'm going to mention. The, but the, the idea is that our salvation is intended to be a permanent thing. And so the, the first kind of idea or phrase that the Bible uses to kind of reference and talk about our salvation is the idea of adoption. right? And so if like from Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. 
Can y'all follow along with me on that, Debbie, as I read? There you go. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent a spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so part of this idea of our redemption is that God's adopting us into his family, right? And, and being the parent uh, who has an adopted child, that's a permanent thing. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not something you back out on. This is, a, this is a choice, this is a commitment that it is made that you intend to follow through, you know, really till death do us part and even beyond that. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 and 17 says something similar. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so if our salvation is something we lost, we would go from being adopted to being unadopted again. And so the idea of God adopting us is it's not to, to make us orphans once again, that he intends for that relationship to last, that this is a permanent relationship. And so that's, that's one idea. Uh, another idea that the Bible uses to talk about our, our salvation is the idea, we call it conversion. Um, it's kind of referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> and so when it talks about what changes within the, the change, the conversion that happens in, in a person when they, when they give their life to Christ is that, that something has died and something new has come. Something has passed away. There's just been this conversion. So to lose that, you would go from being the new self. Oh, wait a second. I'm back to my old self. <laughs> wait a second. Now I'm back to my new self. And you'd be back and forth between your old two selves, back and forth. You'd become bipolar really quickly in that case. And so this, this idea of the old self really being gone and the new self being there, this conversion, has is, is got some ideas of permanence behind it. In the Old Testament, it refers to it in Ezekiel chapter 36, 26. I, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so in, in that kind of passage is just explaining this this coming to life of your heart you know taking out a stone and putting a beaten heart in you a, a spiritual heart and and so there's some permanence of that you know God's not gonna oh you want the stone back okay here you go um and so th there seems to be this again this idea of permanence this would be something that should last um and then the final kind of idea or words of permanence that the bible uses to describe salvation is the idea of rebirth John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And, and Nicodemus has trouble trying to understand that. Well, how am I going to be born again? You know, and Jesus tries to explain to him it's a spiritual birth, right? Um, and then the thought would be, well, then you got to, if you lose that, then you got to be unborn again. And, and so that being born is a, is a kind of got a permanent kind of thing, <laughs> you know, it, you don't go back and 
re-unborn yourself. Romans 6, 4 also talks about the rebirth. It says, for therefore, if you're buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too may walk in newness of life. That the life uh, of the saved person is a new life. There's a new life there. You're, you're growing in a new maturity level. And so these three concepts, I, th- I think, uh, assure us that, that what happens to us when we become saved is intended and expected to be permanent. That, that it's not something that just can willy-nilly get lost. Uh, that it's not something you can misplace. That these are relationships, these are events that have some idea of permanence behind them. And that's why I would argue that, again, the major contributor is that people uh, who are claiming to be born again, who are claiming to be converted, who are claiming to, uh, uh, what was the first one? Adopted, thank you. All of a sudden, within a year, two, three, five have walked away from their adoption, have walked away from their conversion, have walked away from their, their new life, and they're living their old life again. And I would argue that, that probably the main thing is they never really had those things in the first place. So the second thing, so I, I want to assure you, it's not something that will willy-nilly just kind of happen and we'll never know about it. We won't lose, quote-unquote, our salvation. The second thing is, I don't think it can be taken from you either. Uh... We have to deal with the fact that we have an enemy out there, someone who will spiritually attack us and who will try to, to, try to tear us down, who, whose desire is to keep people from getting saved. The Bible says we have an enemy who seeks around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, to destroy. And so, you know, Satan's not on our side. He's out to, to destroy us in every way. And, and robbing us of our salvation is something he would love to do if he could. I just don't believe he can. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 30 tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. And so, yes, we, we endure spiritual attack. We endure uh, attacks from, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, right? I think one of Satan's greatest, greatest attacks or one of his favorite things to do is, is to make us doubt our salvation. And, and we have thoughts like this in our head like, well, you know, I'm a bad person. I know all the bad things I've done, right? And there's just no way I can be saved because, and so what Satan does is try to stir us up and remind us of all the evil and bad things we've done and the things that we still struggle with. And we're like, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe, maybe it's taken away from me. Maybe I've lost it. And, and I, I just want to let us know that if, if we've given our life to Christ, we've put it in a place that is ultimately secure. And, uh, and I'll make a two points about that. Romans 8, uh, 33 and 39, kind of Paul's talking about a, a similar idea. He said, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God, is just, if God just, who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it's written, for, the sake of, uh, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I would tell you, I, I would affirm that our security is not, is not in danger from an outside attack. And that just in the similar way we have these things, that, that we are in the hand of God and it is a safe place to, to rest. And so really the two points I kind of want to make from that is first to understand that the accuser word, the accuser's words are empty. When he tries to make you doubt, when he's like, you know God's given up on you because you know how bad you've been. You know, I, I, I got you right where I want you. Well, no, you don't because I'm right where I want to be in God's hand and that's a safe and secure place. And so that's one understanding is when we feel ourselves coming under spiritual attack, realize that mostly that, that's just empty words of someone trying to cause doubt in our heads. Also, and I think this is something we struggle with maybe more than that, is to understand that troubled times are not a sign of falling away. See, the, the, in that Romans passage, he's talking about, you know, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, tribulation. All these things are not signs. And too often we think, well, when I'm in good standing with God, good things are going to happen to me. And if I'm not receiving good things, I must not be in good standing with God. Maybe I've fallen away and that's why all this bad stuff's happening to me. And, and, and so bad stuff, troubling times is not, is not synonymous with you having fallen away. And so when we experience bad times, it shouldn't be and cause us to doubt our salvation. That somehow we've lost it, somehow it's not there, God's, God's out to get me now uh, because of these bad times. And, and understand that even in those bad times, you're still secure in God's love. And bad times are not a sign of the loss of God's love. So far, it sounds like I'm on one end of the spectrum, but here's where I move a little bit more to the center. Here's where I open a door that I personally struggle with, and so I actually have phrased this one in the question, because this is where my own personal struggles start to come. Can salvation be given up? I don't think you can lose it accidentally, and I don't think you can be taken from you, but can you give it up? is the question that I have the most struggles with. And so I want to relay to you a couple of real-life uh, situations that, that really caused me some struggle in this morning. Some real-life cases for us just to consider. First, we have the story of this man, Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton died uh, shortly after writing this book, Farewell to God, Why I'm No Longer a Christian. You may not know Charles Templeton. Some of you might have heard the name. If you were in the 1950s and 19, 1950s, 1960s, and were a follower of the Youth for Christ movement, which Billy Graham uh, was the key speaker for the Youth of Christ, 
Well, the Youth of Christ was started by Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. And Charles Templeton and Billy Graham used to preach side by side. By some accounts, Charles was a better preacher than Billy. Um, and they were the ones who started some of the mass uh, uh, crusades and the mass conversions and, and mass, uh, the crusading event. Charles Templeton was, was and Billy Graham were buds. They were right-hand man to each other. Charles goes off after preaching on those crusades for a number of years. He goes off to Princeton University, Princeton Seminary. And by the time he graduates Princeton Seminary, his faith is wrecked by the, by the theology of that seminary. And he will end up dying writing a book, Farewell to God, disclaiming any belief of Christianity whatsoever. So here you've got a contemporary Billy Graham who dies denouncing God in every way. In more recent years, we've had people like Joshua Harris Joshua Harris wrote a, a very popular book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was the former pastor of a mega church in Maryland. He renounced his faith when he decided it was time to divorce his wife. And he said, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. And this is what he says, by all measures I have for divining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Mary Sampson, Marty Sampson was a writer and, and a musician for Hillsong Church, um, one of their lead writers. Uh, this is what he said recently. Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can uh, be some of the most beautiful and loving. But as for me, I'm not one anymore. Dave Gass, the former pastor of Grace Family Fellowship, pastor at a covenant church uh, at Cedar Community Church, took to social media and announced after 40 years of being a devout follower, 20 of those being an evangelical pastor, I am walking away from my faith. Even though this has been a massive bomb drop in my life, it has been decades in the making. And then maybe one of the most recent ones, a man named Paul Maxwell, who wrote for the well-known Desiring God uh, podcast. Maxwell said on his Instagram feed, what I really miss is connection with people. I've discovered that it, what I've discovered is that I'm ready to connect again, and I'm kind of ready not to be angry anymore. I love you guys. I love all the friendships and support I've built here, and I think it's important to say that I am just not a Christian anymore. I give you these real life these real life examples. These aren't people who who like came to church for a year, who who showed up for a, a revival service, who walked an aisle, who who maybe got baptized, and within a year we haven't seen them anymore. This isn't that casual kind of loss of salvation that I think is evident within within what I would call false conversions. That these are people who spent decades and decades writing for God, serving the Lord, preaching a. a biblically centered message for years and at some point in their way make a public proclamation that they are no longer going to follow Jesus as their disciples and that's concerning and the reason I point this out is for one I think we need to be prepared that we're going to see more and more and more of this in the coming years that's one of the bad news is uh, I think this is something that we're going to have to really grasp with as, as being a Christian becomes more unpopular in this world. I'm afraid we will see more of this kind of thing. And so we need to, to kind of prepare ourselves for that because when these happen, it, it sent shockwaves through the Christian community. 
um, as, we, as we see this happening over and over. And so we need to, to buffet ourselves against this for one. So, so what's going on in these situations? Well, there's, there's three options, right? I mean, in my opinion, there's three options. Either these people, and those who say once saved, always saved, if you're way out there on that horn, you're going to say these people were never, ever saved. Yes, I know they led thousands to Christ. Yes, I know they preached the Bible. They went to seminary. They led churches for decades and decades and decades, but they were never really saved. That's kind of hard to, to swallow with some of the stuff that they did and, and who they were. Um, maybe, or we could say that, uh, well, they're still saved. <laughs> we could say once saved, always saved. They were truly saved. And even though they have now publicly denounced Christ, they have refused publicly to follow Christ, they've doubted Christ's every claim that he's made, and they've even gone so far as start to argue against Christ and articulate why others shouldn't be Christ, that even though they're doing all that, they're still going to be in heaven with everybody else. That's also kind of hard to swallow. And so it leaves me with this, this kind of middle ground that these are people who must have somehow denounced their faith. They gave it up. They, they didn't have that stick to itness that we talked about last week. Uh, and, and they've made a choice to walk away. And I really think the Bible at least opens the door for that possibility. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead and the elemental judgment, eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, verse four, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tested the good works of God and the powers of that age, and they have fallen away. The Bible seems to lay out this idea that there are people who, by every definition, I can, they've, taste, they've been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit, and they've tasted the good works of God, and they've fallen away. It goes on to say, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves, the Son of God, and put to him open shame. And so the Bible seems to at least open the door that though we can't lose our salvation accidentally, and that it can't be taken away from us by our enemy, there does seem to be the possibility that we can walk away from it, that we can give it up. The, 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 the problem, the, the Bible uses the word fall away. When you look up that word, it's the only place that this is used in the Bible. It really means to be deterred, to detracted. And, and so I would say, I do think there seems to be at least the possibility you can walk away from your faith. Now, here's the really, really, really bad news about that, though. And this is where it's different than those who have been false converted. Because here's the, those who, who we would identify as false conversions, the good news of that, they can still be saved. They can have real conversion. They can be adopted. They can, they can become children of God. They can be converted. They can be reborn again. That's great news. But according to the scriptures and, the, and the, real, the real dilemma here and the real sad point is for those who've tasted all these things, for those who, who've been partakers of the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the good work of God and they've fallen away, get the next words. It is impossible for them to come again 
to repentance. That when you, walk, when you have tasted what God offers, when you've been adopted, when you've been converted, and you choose to walk away from that, when you choose to deny God, I think you seal yourself so much that there is, the Bible says, it's impossible for those to come back. And so if that's true, then Charles Templeton ended up going into eternity without any security that Christ would offer him. He would receive the reward for that. And that's terribly, terribly troubling to think about. It's impossible. So what's my conclusions for the day? Well, one, I hope that for some of us we can relax <laughs> and we can know that we've been saved and your salvation is extremely, extremely secure. You don't have to, to be all frantic and worry about, oh, I hope I didn't misplace it. I hope I didn't lose it. I hope you didn't lose it. Well, if you did, trust me, I do not think you will lose it without knowing about it. <laughs> that, it that if it's gone, it's something you've chosen very intentionally to walk away from. And so that's why I find myself today doing what Paul did. Paul does this quite often in his, in his letters, and many of his letters are, 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 are a letter writing to people who are under persecution, who are struggling, who are thinking about walking away. Some of them talking about turning back to Judaism, and, and Paul's letters are like, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Have stick to itness with your relationship with Christ. Don't give up on him because I can assure you he won't give up on you. He will hold you secure in his hand. You can't be taken away from it. You can't lose his love. Nothing will separate you from just stick with Jesus. So I want you to know you won't accidentally lose it. You won't accidentally find it taken away from you. But if you stick with Jesus, you can rest secure that you will have eternal life. So stick, stick, stick with Jesus.